to Zen Parenting Radio. This is episode number, I don't know, 221, 222, whatever it takes. <laughs> that was an accident. That is so funny. 221, you, 222, whatever it takes. For those of you who don't know what that's from, it's from an amazing film called Mr. Mom that was probably from 1981. Yeah, it was when we were young. I'm going to try to find young, that on young. YouTube. That's like an old school Michael Keaton, which is why we wanted Michael Keaton to win the Academy Award this year. Because when I think of him... I'm sorry, pal. No problem. Come on over here, Ron. Let me show you what I'm doing. Taking advantage of some of the time off to uh, add a whole new wing on here. I'm going to rip these walls out and, uh, of course, rewire it. Yeah, you're going to make it all 220? Yeah, 220, 221, whatever it takes. <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, that's so good. That's so good. That's so funny. The universe, I'm in alignment. It's actually 221. I just looked at our website. Cool. So what is in Parenting Radio? It's a discussion between a spiritual and emotional mom and a logical and practical dad. We have three daughters, ages 7, 10, and 11, and our goal is to give you the resources to become a better parent, but more importantly, to become a better you. And always remember that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Um, and this is our Friday show. We usually, Friday. we, this is our second Friday show where we're just chatting. Usually it's a, an interview, a conversation with somebody we love. It is every other week it is. But this is a, just a regular, just you and I, sweetie. Mm-hmm. So, uh, thank you to our listeners for sharing our Facebook posts. Thank you for subscribing to Zen Parenting Radio on our website, which will give you um, access to everything. Access to everything. Podcast, so events, on everything. The, on the right-hand side, it says subscribe to Zen Parenting Radio on our website. Go ahead and subscribe. And giving us iTunes reviews. I didn't look to see if we had any new iTunes reviews, so we'll save that until next Tuesday. So um, um, I forgot our motto. The best predictor of a child's well-being, sweetie, is a parent's self-understanding. self-understanding. It really is in parenting radio. It's really not even a parenting show. Let's be honest. What is it, sweetie? It's a self-awareness show, right? It's a self-awareness show because self-awareness benefits you, benefits your children, and benefits the world. And it's easy to become self-aware because your parent, your children are your best mirrors. Well, actually, it can be simple, yeah. but not always easy. Yeah, simple, not easy. Be- what was that camera commercial? So advanced, it's simple, sweetie. Mm-hmm. Which it's has so... Not- it has nothing to do. It has with nothing to do with this. Um, but that's the thing is that what I believe is that that's really okay. So we come in, we're all self aware, right? You know, we're babies, we're little people, we just love the world. I think you need to ex- expand on that. What does that mean? What do, what do babies know? Babies don't know anything. They don't even know their name. What do you babies mean? are still what do they're you mean they still know? attached to where they came from. They're Where's, still what you mean? Their mom's tummy. No, they're still – and when I say where they came from, everybody has their own story about that. But we come from something bigger. We come from something greater and magnificent. And how can you – you know, I was just looking at this thing on uh, social networking the other day about all the planets and how they line up and mm-hmm. how big they are compared to each other and how we're like this teeny little galaxy compared right. to other galaxies. All you have to do, people, if you think like, oh, I have a really big problem. My daughter got a B minus on a test mm-hmm. is go outside and look up at the stars. That's it. Recognize where you are in the scheme of life and in the world. It's going to make you feel small, but I don't want that to make you feel little as a person. I want you to understand that you play a role in the bigger picture of this universe. So what role are you going to play? 
And self-awareness keeps us in alignment with whatever that role is, um, even if it's just that we're kind to people. It can be very simple. And when we're not self-aware, we're out of alignment and we do crazy things like get all worked up about things that are dumb and honk at people and have road rage and point fingers at everyone else and say they're bad. And we you know, are mean to people and we get really – anxious and overworked about things that aren't worth our time. Sweetie, you said what role will you play? Yeah. What about this movie line? Okay. To quote from Whitman, Oh me, oh life of the questions of these recurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish, what good amid these, oh me, oh life? Answer, that you are here, that life exists and identity that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse what will your verse be sweetie what's your verse going to be well you know, I don't know if there's any there with any of us there's a way to like wrap that up simply, but what I know for sure is that everything he said, I believe that's John Keating by the way from Dead Poets Society. He's one of my greatest teachers even though he was a fictional character. And that I know that I want to teach what he teaches, and I've known that since I was little. One verse that we're going to contribute is we are doing a screening. We did our last screening, whatever, a week or so ago of The Mask You Live In, which is all about redefining masculinity for, for boys and men. And this, we just established a licensing agreement with a film called The Empowerment Project. Correct. And you want to give a quick sure. 20 seconds? Quick overview of the Empowerment Project. It's it's about five girls, a documentary crew. They're in their 20s. They decide to go out and find ordinary women who are doing extraordinary things because unfortunately, sometimes what's offered to us through the media is one viewpoint of, of what a woman is. And usually it's a very um, sexualized or it is a very – it's all about image. It's all about appearance and it's got nothing to do with – her drive and her skill set and and who she is as a person. So they went out to find all these incredible women who who are examples of things that women are doing right now. Mm-hmm. These aren't things like, oh, I hope women – like they're in the – I remember in the um, trailer, the woman actually says, one of the documentarians, she says, this is not about saying, oh, poor women, poor us. It's about saying women are doing things already, mm-hmm. but let's shine a light on it because as Todd and I always said when we were teaching our BU classes – if you want to be it, you got to see it. You know, you have to know that it exists. Now, they're always pioneers, and I appreciate them for doing what they do, but it's a lot simpler to have a little bit of a worn path that people can follow. Right. So um, the idea behind this, the mask you live in was a little bit heavier theme, so it was more of an adult thing, whereas this is we want parents to bring their kids to this showing, which is on May 18th yep, at it's York a Monday. Theater in Elmhurst. Um, it's recommended for kids nine and up. Todd and I have been kind of talking. We have a daughter who's seven, and I think that she, there's nothing in it that's necessary. That's like necessarily adult themed, but it is content that it, it's all about. Can your seven year old sit through a movie? Yeah, you know and the I mean? answer is they can. I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Skylar will probably be there, but I want parents. And to And this know, is a fifty minute version of it. Yeah, it's a fifty five. Fifty four. Yeah, fifty. 
52. 54. No, I'm kidding. It's 54. You're right. Um, but I want parents to understand that, um, you know, it is a movie about women's careers yeah. and the things that they love to do. So it, it's totally up to you. So here's a minute from the trailer. Like, there are so many inspirational women out there, but why is it sometimes so hard to see them? I'm Sarah. This is Dana, Alana, Ashley, and Vanessa. In September of 2013, the five of us packed into a minivan to embark on a cross-country journey to interview strong career women in the hopes of creating more positive role models for girls everywhere. While on the road, we grew as women, as filmmakers, and as friends. A project like this does not say, oh, woe is me, I'm a woman in America trying to make it. Oh, it's so hard. It's not about that. It's about we live in a man's world. And just for a month, I'd like to live in a woman's world. Just for just for a month. Just for a month. And, so how yeah. would somebody uh, purchase a ticket to that, So sweetie? go to zenparentingradio.com, click on events, and it'll take you right to the page where you can um, buy your tickets. So that's probably be the easiest way. So do we want to talk about uh, Liz Gilbert first or privacy for our children first? Let's talk about Liz Gilbert first because we're kind of on this um, – this thought. All right. So, do you want to start, or do you want I me will. to? I um, will. Okay, well, unless you already had something you wanted to say. No, no. I got okay. some. I got some. You got notes some notes here. So, um, Liz Gilbert. So Elizabeth Gilbert, author. Many of you may know her. Eat, pray, love, and um, she just wrote the what of all things, the signature of all things, which is a beautiful novel. Anyway, she has a book coming out. I think in September, and I think it's called Big Magic. Um, and she's finding herself writing a lot more about these things that Todd and I talk about on the show, a lot more about sacred living, even though that's always been her theme. Like mm-hmm. that's always been embedded in everything she's written, you know, if you've ever written her work. But she's coming like straight out and saying these things. And, right. w- and one of the things that she uh, talked about today on Facebook was uh, bitterness. And she used a quote um, that is from uh, Women Who Run With the Wolves. Um, many of you may know that, and I'm going to just read part of it. It says, There is a time in our lives, usually in midlife, when a woman has to make a decision, possibly the most important psychic decision of her future life, and that is whether to be bitter or not. Women often come to this in their late 30s or early 40s. I am finding this so true. Mm-hmm. I have so many women who are coming to me in that Time well, period. and I'm going to interrupt you, and I don't think that this is just a woman thing. No, I don't either. So I think for the guys listening, tune in because I think it has as much to do with us as it does with women. You're right, and the only reason this quote um, has the word woman in it because it's directly from a book. Continuing, um, they are at the point where they are full up to their ears with everything. They've had it, and the last straw has broken the camel's back, and they're pissed off and pooped out. Their dreams of their 20s may be lying in a crumple. A crumple. See, there's my word. I know. In a crumple. I saw that. There may be broken hearts, broken marriages, broken promises. Now, this is this, this we're setting the stage of what we're going to talk about because the question is when you've gotten into your late 30s, early 40s, and for me, it was earlier than that. It was early 30s, late right. 20s. Right. What are you going to do? Yeah. Is this all there is? Is it, what are you going to do with that information? Because this is the truth is that you can choose bitterness. And you can choose to say that the world is an awful place because you can point to all these things that have happened to you 
challenges, losses, failures, deaths in your family, um, you know, illnesses, um, miscarriages, um, and you can say, well, see, the world's a bad place, or there's always another option. Sweetie, I have a um, another person who can kind of frame what you're saying from a movie. Oh, I'm not shocked by that. I played this before, but it's worth saying again. Okay. Ali Sheedy from The Breakfast Club. Got it. Here we go. My God, are we going to be like our parents? Not me. Ever. It's unavoidable. It just happens. What happens? When you grow up, your heart dies. Who cares? I think that kind of sums up what you're saying. I think it does too. And I really, I was, I did a presentation the other night um, for some some people, and one of the things we talked about was that whole concept that children are getting worse, and you know they're becoming more disrespectful, and all those myths. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we had Alfie Cohn on our show who wrote Myth of the Spoiled Child, and he talked about how we've been saying this for generations. Oh, the children these days, children, they're just, they're, you know, disrespecting authority. All, and this is what happens is we grow up. Yes. Just like Ali Sheedy says. Yes. Then we reflect at our children and think they are wrong. Well, we get jaded because the amount of crappy things that, that happens happen. to right. us, you know, tw- 20s and 30s are a you know, wonderful decades for me, but a lot of work and a lot of loss and a lot of disappointment Challenges. and a lot of monotony, pain, a lot of pain. So what Ali Sheedy is saying is your heart dies. So what this blog that Liz Gilbert wrote is all about is we have a choice. We have a choice. So what is that choice, sweetie? The choice is we either become bitter or we decide to fight for our happiness. Right. Exactly. It just doesn't come. You might have to work for your happiness. That's it's right. a conscious choice. Decision. And if you don't make that conscious choice, then you become the bitter middle-aged person who's grumpy and everything else. It's almost simpler. And I find that my friend Rita wrote this wonderful blog called uh, about this concept of I love my life. She made these wonderful bracelets that say I love my life and I wear mine all the time. But her concept behind I love my life is not everything goes my way. I'm perfect. I love my life. But I love my life regardless of the challenges I face. I love my life even when I fail. I love my life simply because I was given the opportunity to live a life. That's a completely different perspective. And when we start to view things that way rather than start pointing to all the reasons why we shouldn't love our life – it's, it really is, you know what, Todd? It's the two wolves story again. Yeah, what are you going to feed? Yeah. You know, where are you going to go with this? Are you going to focus on all the negativity and all the challenges you've reached? Or have they gotten you to a place where you see, <clears throat> like for me, because I've been in pain and I've had depression and I've had anxiety and I've had loss, like everyone else, I'm there's nothing special about me. I, when I'm having a good day, or let me even simplify, when I don't have a headache, (laughs) I am so thankful for my day. And I am so thankful to see my children and to be with Todd and to go outside. And I don't care if it's 20 degrees below zero. Everyone's so pissed off about the weather all the time. I don't care. I am, I am, I mean, yes, I'd like sun and, and, but I know it'll come back. Well, my, and my example of that is, and I think I've shared this on the show and I learned this from Thich Nhat Hanh, who's a author and Buddhist monk from Vietnam, who's awesome. He said in one of his books that I listened to, um, when you have a cold and one of your nose 
is clogged. Your nostrils. One of your, one of your, nose. one of your nose. <laughs> one of your noses. You have two noses. One of your nostrils is clogged and it just sucks. Mm-hmm. And then you either get better and it opens up or you sneeze and you have that 20 second freedom, freedom until it reclogs again. Like, you're like, oh my God, I can breathe out of both my noses. So now, <laughs> both, bo- my noses. both of my nostrils. <laughs> it's cute. I like it. It's like a little kid. Um, so, but uh, 99% of the people listening to this probably have access to both their nostrils right now. Yeah. And yet we're, we get used to breathing through both, no- both, both, both nostrils. <laughs> oh my God, that's strike three. Um, don't get used to breathing through both nostrils. Love the fact that when you breathe in, like I'm doing these meditations through uh, these guided meditations and where I'm on the the gratitude section of Mm. it and he has you journal what you're grateful for. And honestly, the ability to take a deep breath, Mm -hmm. like there's some people sick in a hospital right now that have a hard time breathing. And that's like my nightmare. Like if I ever get sick and old, I God, I hope it's not my breath. I hope it's something else. You know, you and I have both had personal experience. When my dad was in the hospital for an extended period of time, his lungs were challenged because he was having issues with his heart and breathing was tough. And when your mom was in the hospital and was, you know, nearing the end of her life, she couldn't breathe very well. And when you watch someone who can't breathe, you have such an appreciate. I could cry right now. Like you, you're like, oh my God. So like I I can breathe on my own. So I want to interrupt this podcast and we're going to have 10 seconds of breathing silence and gratitude. Mm, All right. Okay. So you're not going to hear us for 10 seconds and just focus on your breath. Radio silence. Yeah. Sometimes it's good for us. Some people don't like radio silence, but I like that 10 seconds. And that, you don't have to do it while you're listening to this, but do it before you go to bed or do it when you wake up tomorrow morning. Just love your breath. My yeah, goodness. I know. It doesn't get much better than that. Well, and the breath is it, – it's such, it's such a powerful thing. You know, anybody who does yoga or who is a runner or who meditates, you know how often breath is discussed because it is the connection – to our ability to move forward, mm. meaning, you know, whenever you're in a difficult pose in yoga, breathe through it, breathe yeah. through it, which is a metaphor for life. Mm. And if we can trust our breathing and connect to our breathing, it takes us out of our head and back into our body. Right. And so breathing, you know, for as much as, and I've mentioned this before, but when I was in my 20s and working with kids and, you know, one of the things we had at Children's Memorials, we'd say, take a breath. And I used to make fun of it. I'd be like, yeah, take a breath. And then I started practicing it. I'm like, oh, this is a real thing. Yeah. This isn't like you feel different when you take a conscious breath. Yeah. You, your body slows down. You're, you connect. You, you get back in touch with who you are. And so it is a powerful, simple tool yeah. to use with yourself and your children. For those of you who may be interested in sitting in quiet and have a hard time doing it, I did. And then about 50 days ago, I downloaded this app called Headspace. And I don't know, for whatever reason, it works for me. So if you're stuck or you want to start, uh, go to your app store and go to Headspace. It's 10 days for free to see if you like it. So wonderful. Just another resource. It's a good tool. Yeah. So I want to continue on with this article. You all right with that, sweetie? Yes. Yes. Um, so uh, what she says is if you decide to become a bitter person, who could blame you? Chances are you have a list of offenses as long as you're arm to justify that choice. We can always justify our bitterness. We can always do that. And it's just a conscious choice to not 
make it that way. Well, I often say to people who start to run the list off for me of all the things that happened to them starting in childhood and they go on and on and on and they say all these things. And now when I say this, my heart is open to them. Like I, I have had pain too, so I can relate and I can maybe not their pain, but I have a lot of compassion. But then after they're done, my usual response is, yeah. Now what? Yeah. It, all that's true. Yeah. I validate everything you said. You were not deserving of that pain, meaning you're a good person and a lot of that had nothing to do with you and it was just – but what are you going to do with it? Yeah. Because any time that I talk to a friend who's struggling with something and they get they come kind of full circle with it, my usual response to them is now you can help other people. Yeah. See, in the midst of grief, helping other people can be really challenging because we're our, all of our energy is going toward ourselves, right. which it should yeah. because we have to take that time and, and love ourselves. But then when you get through – um, you know, like I always think about my our friends Aaron and Aaron who were on this show on conversations with people we love, um, friends of ours from college who experienced significant uh, infant loss, like miscarriages, um, you know, had to – they it was even beyond miscarriage, stillborn because they got to certain points yeah. where the baby had to be delivered. And I'm talking about multiple children. Yeah. This happened over and over again to them. If you haven't heard their story – and you know what they did? They kept going yeah. and they were at challenged. The, at the um, – their families were saying, what are you doing? They were like – their families were very challenged by yeah. – understandably because their families were in pain too. Right. Be, be, as, a, as a parent, the only thing you don't want to see is your child, child in, in pain. pain. So Aaron's parents mm-hmm. were probably seeing Aaron in such despair. That they were saying, like, why are you setting again. yourself up for this yet again? Yes. But they, God bless them – kept going. In many different directions kept going. Like they utilized everything. They went adoption. They they did. They went uh, through the adoption process and they adopted a son. And then, you know, one of those things that you always hear about, which I know doesn't happen for everybody, but it did for them. They got pregnant and they had another baby. They had another son. And so sometimes, you know, I'm in communication with Erin every once in a while and she will have those moments of, I can't believe Mm -hmm. that I'm here. But what Aaron can do now and what all of you can do who have experienced things is you teach, you support, you you find you, you find people to help. You use that. You use you it. You use the pain. It's like And and you know, this is kind of, I don't know how much sense this makes, but uh, my mom passed away last August. My dad is still around and they had a challenging marriage. Mm-hmm. And I had um I witnessed things that were unhealthy for a marriage. But I used that and I said to myself, I don't want to be in a marriage like that. So I could have, um, you know, kind of repeated the same pattern. Right. Or I could have used that experience, which I did, and decided to love my wife. Yeah. And show her a healthy way of loving her. And my dad was challenged by that. Mm-hmm. And I learned from him. So right. thank you, dad. Right. So it's the whole victim like, oh, woe is me. There's... There's a place in your life to feel sorry for yourself, but there's a balance there too. And if it gets too much of feeling sorry for yourself, you get stuck. Right. And, you know, I'll change the words just so it feels better because I I totally agree with Todd saying there's a place for self-compassion. Yeah. Like you have to acknowledge, oh my gosh, these things happened to me. This was painful. I am undeserving of this pain, yet it happened. So I I love myself. I'm going to take care of myself. I honor what I need in my life. And then... That com- if you're doing, if you're really working that self compassion, that compassion grows for other people. Yeah. So you just feel a need to go out and you know 
talk to, like, you know, one of the most simple things, Todd, in my message and mission is so broad that it's very difficult to narrow down. But one of the things I, I really know for myself is that in fifth grade, I started to be very challenged by should I be myself or should I be what other people want me to be? Should I be more like my friends? Should I give up my own values and morals and just try and fit in? And those things I really struggled with. So at 43, I still think about fifth grade girls all the time and how to, um, even though we're not doing the same kind of BU stuff we did before, like this, the Empowerment Project, yeah. this movie, I think about girls that age and I say, I want them to know that they can stay who they are right. because I... I wasn't sure, you know, like I just didn't, I didn't feel like it was something I could talk about. I thought I was abnormal. And when you talk to girls and boys too, Mm -hmm. you'll find that they all feel like they're not normal. They all feel like something's wrong with them. So why aren't we saying this out loud? So in this um, article, uh, she talks about two different types of happiness, innocent happiness and weathered happiness. And innocent happiness is something that we're all born with. Yeah. Innocent happiness is that kid-like happiness where they just kind of like, I'm thinking about Skylar, the skip around. I love who I am. Life is great. Um, You know, that's the baby life. We all have that. We all have it. We're all given that as a gift. The weathered happiness is what happens that's what you have to work for. Right. It doesn't just happen. Right. And how do you work for it? Um, by fighting for the light, even when all signs point to darkness. Um, every person who has ever shown you kindness, like even within a terrible situation, there's always some silver lining in that gray cloud. And this, I love this. And again, this is why I like Liz Gilbert's writing because she can give you a visual that you can see. Mm-hmm. Here's how you earn weathered happiness. Fight for the light even when everything points to darkness. You dig through your history with tweezers and you pull up every single scrap of evidence of goodness that has ever happened to you and you build a lifeboat for yourself out of that goodness. And that – I mean what a beautiful – you know, she's such a good writer. What a beautiful couple of sentences because it is so easy – you know, as Yoda says, to go dark and it's simpler. What does Yoda say? Uh, more seductive, more quicker, seductive, easier. Quicker, easier. And you can find power there mm-hmm. because people will be like, oh, poor you, poor me, poor me. You can do that. Or you can look at a day and you can see what's working and who sustains you and who has helped you. And the fact that you have a roof over your head and that you ate lunch and that you had a good laugh in the morning and that you got to work in your car that's working like you really weathered happiness is your decision to move forward and notice the good, the beauty, whatever you want it to be, to move forward and notice. And when you do that, you find more. Because the more you're practicing gratitude, right. the more you look for things to be grateful for. Right. What you focus on grows. Exactly. Should we move on? I, I, I feel like I can keep on talking about this, but I don't know um, if, we, if we're beating it to death. Well, yeah, but I don't mind beating it to death because we. this is really the essence of our show. Well, the one thing I was going to say is you kind of need to get outside of your logical brain. And one thing she says is, uh, you know, you got to look for good things that happen, even when they seem inconsequential. And one met, one example that she gives is even if you find a penny on the sidewalk, like, oh, what's the big deal about finding a penny on the sidewalk? Pick that thing up. You pick it up. And what, what does a penny do? It buys you a gumball. But what, what it can do is it's a sign from the universe, the way I look at it, that abundance, abundance. may come your way. Like it's, it's a way to kind of build an energy towards that. And it already has come your way. Yeah. You found the penny. Right. See, that's the thing is sometimes we'll say, well, I saw 
a horse, so that means some goodness is coming for me. You saw a beautiful horse. Yeah, goodness that's was the just goodness. given to you, right. and you will now see more. Yeah. But it's I freaking love seeing pennies. Mm-hmm. I love they shift my thinking. I get out of my head immediately. I pick it up. I put it in my pocket. When we walk by pennies and we say, "Oh, they're worthless. They don't mean anything." It's not all about buying stuff. Yeah. It's a symbol yeah. of abundance, as Todd said. I mean, it's one of those really small things that you can do and do that. And, and not as, you know, not like you're acting, but do that in front of your kids. Demonstrate value. Mm. You know, you see something, you know, beautiful and shiny or a rock. It doesn't even have to be a penny. Yeah. Notice its value and beauty. Um, I, I want to say just to kind of wrap up the innocence and the weathered is that her last three sentences in this this post, she says – After all that has happened to you, you may say, my innocence is gone. I will never be the same. I think many of us think that. And so I totally hear that sentence. I'm saying that. That's not part of Liz's thing. And then she says, that is true. You will never be the same. But it's possible that you will be better. Right. Because that's what life is. It's growth and strength and evolving and recognizing your true self. And I think that... Is a good place to stop. It's a way to close, sweetie. Yep. And scene. And scene. Um, so my um, – the qu- I want to do the question next and okay. see where that takes us. I forget the question. I haven't told you oh, what it is. Okay. Um, and if we have time, we'll talk about the privacy, but mm-hmm. maybe we'll save it for next week. Okay. So this lady is a big fan of the show. I think she gave me permission. You um, don't need to use her name. It's irrelevant. I mean she's not irrelevant, but her – we don't need just – I think her name's Terry. Terry. <laughs> we had neighbors. <laughs> We had neighbors and we never – this is years ago. This is when JC was a baby and, you know, when you're when your kids are babies, you're just not a social – like you kind of locked out. You're stuck in your house. So we lived in this house <laughs> and we thought that one of them – I think one of them, the people's name was Terry. Right. But then you thought like the, the wife was Terry. I thought it was, was the other Terry. person was Terry. So then they just became Terry, Terry and Terry. Terry. <laughs> and we never really knew what their names we were. We still never, we never figured out. And we didn't, but we would just see them. It was like waving. It was kind of like Chicago neighbors. Yeah. For those of you who live in big cities, sometimes you don't even know the person living yeah. right next door. And so we just call them Terry and Terry. Terry and Terry. Okay. So she loves our show. She's got three kids, but they're older, um, 18, 20, and 22. And she says, my 22-year-old son recently asked me why I did not make him continue with piano lessons. He wishes now that he could play, but at that time he was taking lessons. He did not want to practice, and I did want I did not want to fight with him. I exposed all my kids to music lessons. They all chose piano, but after a year or so, if they were not enjoying it and became a chore, I let them stop. I felt that if they wanted to go back to it, they could, but it had to come from them. I don't think the girls regret not playing, but I feel a little guilty about him. What do you think? So... Uh-huh. This is so interesting. Yeah. Because I remember even before we had the podcast, right, as JC was born, I said something like that to my mom. Is like, Mom, I wish you would have made me keep on playing the piano or learn the piano. Mm-hmm. And there was it was more more for discussion purposes, just to kind of see what people's views are and what is our role as parents in this situation. But it's ironic that it's the exact same thing that this woman had gone through. So what I would say to this woman is you did it exactly right. Mm -hmm. And you exposed them and then you let go. And this 22-year-old son is, you know, maybe he's not really that mad, but he is applying a little bit of blame and guilt on his mom for not forcing him to do something. And what I would say to this 22-year-old son is 
Hey, go, man. Go take some lessons. You had your chance when you were six years old, and now that you're 22... You have another chance. You still have your chance. That's right. If it's that important to you, go do it. Right. Quit blaming me. I love you, but back off. You didn't want to do it. Well, and here's the thing. When our kids come to us, no matter what their age, and they ask those kind of questions, instead of getting angry or offended, it's an opportunity for another discussion. And a 22-year-old really needs a good discussion about responsibility. Mm. And and it's he opened the door. Yeah. He came over and said, you didn't make me play piano, even if he was kind of joking. Yeah. I'm mad about it. This is like door wide open about what responsibility means. And responsibility is you take ownership for your own life. Mm -hmm. And that when you were a certain age, that was not where you were. You, you, didn't you want did to. not want to play. And my responsibility as a parent is to respect where you are at every, every given point in your life. And right now you are finding, either by watching your friends or maybe you saw some guy smooth a girl with mm -hmm. his piano playing, you are finding that that may be something you want to do and you now get to do it. Yeah. But the choice to point a finger at me mm -hmm. and say I am responsible for you not having something not only is a waste of energy, but nothing will come of it, but it will damage our relationship. And then number two, you are making an assumption that if you would have played piano when you were little, that you would somehow be happier today. Yeah. And that's not necessarily true. Right. You may have ended up hating piano. You may have ended up like completely resenting it or starting it before it was really your time mm -hmm. to start it. Well, this kind of goes back to the whiplash episode we Absolutely. did last week. Week. Yeah, it's funny because we, we've um, we've mentioned a few different podcasts within this podcast. So this is a little segue. Uh, we talked about Alfie Cohn. We talk about the wolves. Mm -hmm. So if any of those podcasts are interesting to you, there's a search box on our website, and all you got to do is put in Cohn K O H N, and it'll bring it up. Or wolves. Or what's the last one that we just oh uh, whiplash? Mm -hmm. it, we tag it so you can pull those up easily. So that's more of a resource mm -hmm. tool for you. But anyways. Um, I agree with you 100 percent. Yeah. And I just I think that it's it, it, again, we don't need to. Number one, we may have like that tinge of guilt, like, oh, you know, we have to process what our kids say. We don't automatically have the best answer. But what he's doing is he's opening the door for a great conversation yeah. because this is his opportunity to recognize he's responsible for his own life yeah. and that going forward, he gets to make whatever choices he wants. But the worst thing he can do is look back and regret or blame other people yeah. because in our childhood, things happen yeah. and sometimes we don't have control and, and we do need to grieve losses. Mm -hmm. You know, talking about innocence, some children's innocence is taken way too early yeah. for whatever reason. Um, but then what are we going to do? It's just like that whole better thing. What are we going to do? Well, here's the thing. Uh, it's We talk about Kristen Wiig and Fred Armisen, yeah. who are alums of Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And they started doing their stand vocation stand-up when they were like 20 years old. Actually, or, it was improv, but you're right. Right. Mm -hmm. And we think as parents that the only way to make sure that your kid rises to the top is if they start when they're six years old. Right. Well, these are two very easy examples to say, no, you can, this kid can start playing tw at 22 and be an incredible piano player in 10 years. And let me give you some brain science to help you understand this better. The brain science that we had like kind of in the 80s and 90s is it was a lot about how spongy kids are when they're little. That's why there was that really big influx of kids like listening to different languages while they were still in the womb yeah. because there was this belief system that children can absorb and learn things easier when they're young. Now, there's still some truth to that. But what we've also found 
simultaneously is that the brain, we say this over and over again, it has neuroplasticity. So you don't, you do not have, you are completely capable of learning new things as an adult, just as much so as when you were younger. Now, it may not be, depending on what it is, as fluid or you may not be on autopilot about it as you would be when you were a kid, but you can absolutely learn it. There is no reason. You know, there are people who take up languages in their, like Maya Angelou, I don't know if you guys know this, but she used to be a translator at the UN Mm. and she knew like, 28 different languages or something like that. Like she could translate all these languages and she continued to learn them. Hmm. Like she had a few languages and then she continued to learn them. And I'm sure some of them you let go of if you don't use them, you know, but as she grew, as she grew older, so she's in her like twenties, thirties doing, learning all these new languages. And, but we look at ourselves and say, I missed it. I missed the book. Well, like John O'Sullivan, um, we're going to have him on, I think, next, next week. Next Friday. And he is a guy who does Changing the Game Project. It's called changethegameproject.org. So um, anyways, he said that there's coach. It's all about how coaches and parents take the fun out of youth sports. Yeah. And one thing he said, which is which which I thought was profound and it's just a shame, is a lot of coaches will tell a kid – well, he's not good enough. You just don't cut it. Yeah, you don't cut it playing basketball. You don't cut it playing baseball. And one thing he said was, aside from American football, you can play any sport into your 50s and 60s. Yeah. Um, you know, it's going to be different, but you can still play it. So and to say to a nine-year-old... Say to a nine-year-old that you're not a basketball player <laughs> is the most ridiculous thing you ever want to hear. You may not be good enough to make this team, but how dare that coach or that parent say you don't cut it as a basketball player? Right. So maybe some of it's semantics, but the message that gets communicated to that kid is if he he needs to hear, you're not good enough to be on this team, right. but you are good enough to play the game of basketball. Well, I'm going to use you as an example because sure. I love you as an athlete because Todd is, how tall are you, 5'9"? I wish. 5'8"? I think I'm like 5'8". So Todd's about 5'8", and he's a, you know, you're a very healthy guy and, and you know, you take care of yourself and all that kind of thing. But you played a ton of different sports. Mm. And he, and, and as his dad always would say to him, he played with a ton of heart. Like he gave it his all, and he still does. He gave it his all, like everything he had. But you didn't play baseball in college mm. and you didn't go pro in no. anything and you didn't make, you know, this team or that team, yeah. but you played for the joy of athletics. Oh, yeah. And then like when you did get into college and there was intramurals yeah. and stuff, you were like the guy everybody wanted on the team because you were like, not because you were the one who always got the last shot, right. but you played with heart. Yeah. You went out there and had a ball. And, it's, and because I had fun playing. You had fun playing. Yeah, and you know the, he John O'Sullivan talks a lot about single sport athletes and how that's kind of crazy, and right. these parents are being pushed by these coaches, or these coaches are being pushed by these parents to pick a sport for this eight year old, and that's what he's going to play. Or you'll have the eight year old, or nine year old, or ten, or twelve who will say, "You know what? I had a great season, but I, now I'm going to try something new." And the coach will say, "You can't. Mm-hmm. This is year round yeah. now. And if you do decide to do something else, I'm going to give your space away." Well, and I've given J- our oldest JC some space because I keep on saying. You want to do a basketball league? And she's like, no, no, not for me. And recently she saw her friend play in a few tournaments. 
And all of a sudden, she's taking a little bit of an interest in it. And I said, listen, if you want to play, I'll even be a coach or assistant coach. And she's, how old is she? She's 11. She's mm-hmm. going to be 12. Mm, she's going to be 12, yeah. Um, I think she might move over to try basketball. And all of her friends have been playing for like the last four years. But I think she might jump in. Well, and what I said, because I was kind of on the periphery of that conversation when you guys were having it, I said, if you like it, you can do these league things that you're talking about. Or why don't you and your dad just go play in the backyard? Well, that's, that's my plan. This summer, we're going to play in the backyard yeah. a lot. And if she keeps on liking it, then maybe we'll get her in one of if these If she things. wants to, yeah. because it's the same thing as Cameron dancing and saying, why can't I just dance at home? Yeah. What if she develops some skill yeah. while playing you where she's enjoying it? Yeah. And if she wants to go into a league, great. I'll support her. But that isn't the essential. Right. We are. We're always like, get her in a league. Get, get them in a it, league. They don't have to do that. Right. She can play with you. She can go play at the Y with you. Mm-hmm. And then maybe she will try a league. Like yeah. it's, all, it's a little bit of everything. Yeah. But sometimes our kids don't find their loves right. until they well, what I was gonna have say, a lot of experiences. We parents get bogged down with instruction. Yes. We have to get them the best coach. We have to have the best instructors. And it's at the expense of them having a joyful experience. That's right. And, you know, they're they're kids. We prioritize coaching and expertise over enjoyment of the game. Right. And again, that's what John O'Sullivan's gonna talk about next week is what are sports for yeah. in the first place. That's the whole deal. So yeah, that's a good lead in for next week's mm-hmm. show because it's He's a really uh, – he knows his thing. Well, and he's just wise. Like I just feel like how has this not been communicated before? I, I know in my own – you know, where I live, a lot of parents talk to me and email me about this the, the sporting issues in even my own town. You know, yeah. like there's so much pressure and I know that we are not alone. Yeah. I know that this is everywhere. Um, so we just have to start rethinking what are sports for? Are they for us as spectators, us adults, so we can watch a good game? Or is it so our children can appreciate and enjoy what they're doing? Uh, we got to go. Okay. Um, so anything you want to promote, my dear? Um, so again, the Empowerment Project, get your tickets May 18th, Monday, May 18th. Make it a date night with your daughter. Um, dads take your daughter. Yes. Moms take your daughter. Um, it's a great opportunity to like take her to something meaningful rather than take her to the Hunger Games. Yeah, you know what I mean? Exactly. I've seen the Hunger Games, so I'm not ripping on Hunger Games, but that's really negative. Yeah. You know, like let's take our kids to things that are really helpful for yeah. their spirit. Um, so that and then my books, um, you can go to my website, kathycadams.com or to zenparentingradio.com and find my books. Um, and um, we have that voicemail option. So if you have a question, you want us to address on the show, go ahead and click on the leave us a voicemail on zenparentingradio.com. And um, I guess that's it. Words of wisdom, sweetie. Here, let me let me cue the music. Um, it's loud. Um, I I think that most of the words of wisdom from today came from you know Liz Gilbert's blog. But I'll just say when you're finding yourself going down that bitter path. And you're finding yourself being overwhelmed by negativity. Look for the penny. Yeah. Look around. You really, it takes work. And people say that's so hard. I know. But happiness and contentment and self-awareness is worth fighting for. Keep trucking. <laughs> All right. Adios. Have a good week.